Did I do that? (laughs) As I've become an old man... Like, I'll just be full-on cackling like Mr. Burns in five or ten years, but it's, it's, it's a good radio laugh. Okay, I'm ready. Design and mistakes. The way that I described it to you uh, was you, you have to make mistakes, you have to fail as part of the process. That's how things are made. Welcome to yet another episode of Design Dedux Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Bella, and I owe today's guest, Sean Schumacher, a big thanks for getting me back into the swing of things and making sure that we got some new episodes for all the great listeners. Sean Schumacher talks to us about failing and making mistakes, so what a perfect conversation to have to start releasing some new episodes. Sean is an assistant professor of graphic design at Portland State University in the School of Art and Design. He is also a designer, and he is the podcast host and creator of the podcast, Did I Do That? Let's jump right in to the episode and talk with Sean about failing and making mistakes. Welcome again to another episode of Design DDUG's podcast, where we talk about teaching, research, classroom stuff, all things academic. And our goal here is to create success in design education. Today, we have joining us Sean Schumacher. And Sean is going to introduce himself and tell us a little bit about his background. Sean, you're in Oregon, right? Yes. Portland. Portland, Portland, Oregon. All right. Well, welcome from the West Coast to the Mid-South. Well, I'm I'm very glad to be here, um, and it's we're it's, glad to have you. It's so great to be on the show. Um, yeah, I am I am in Portland, Oregon. I am a assistant professor of graphic design at Portland State University, um, and uh, I teach in the the PSUGD program, which is uh, a really a really wonderful little kind of island of a program within uh, sort of the larger Portland State University. We've got uh, somewhere around 500, 600 majors. Oh, um, wow. yeah, we're, yeah, we're pretty big. Um, and you know, we've got some really incredible students and incredible, uh, you know, fellow faculty and incredible like alums. Um, so it's, it's a great community to be a part yeah. of. Yeah. The Portland design scene and even the, the art scene, the creative scene in general, right. Yeah. Is, uh, is top notch. It's yeah. awesome stuff. I mean, I think it's one of the like. There's there's a lot of great parts to living over here, even though you know the weather is often not one of them. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, like I, I think there is so much community here, yeah. um, and so much creativity, and so many people that are like, you know, just kind of bouncing ideas off of each other, and that I think is like yeah. such a special thing to be a part of. It's interesting when we talk about weather because um, <clears throat> I've I've Born and raised Buffalo, New York, and oh. uh, I, I know weather. Um, <laughs> Portland has weather, right? So here I moved to the mid south, and it's just got weather also. But yeah, it's just so weird. You can't. It, we just need to clear, create a magical place that has the perfect weather all the <laughs> well, time. I, I think such a place exists, and it's called San Diego. Uh, oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I forget the joke, but there's something about like the easiest job in the country is to be the the weather forecaster in San Diego. Like, oh, oh that's 72 degrees and sunny all through the week. Looking all at right. our 10-day forecast, 72 degrees and sunny. I'm going to have to look into that. I think uh, that might be a new destination. <laughs> Uh, Sean, how long you been? How long you been teaching? Have you um, did? Where did you start? Have you always been uh, over there at Portland? Well, it, uh, I, I've been I've been in Portland a long time. I think this is my twelfth year in Portland. Okay, um, and I've been with Portland State for most of that. I um, I started as a grad student um, in the uh, contemporary art practice program, uh, okay. kind of like around studio art. Um, okay. Which uh, I was probably not a great fit for because I was not interested in studio art. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was interested in art that interacted with people. Um, uh, okay. Which, right. Right. Um, yeah, it's kind of not a thing that studio art usually does. Um, but uh, while I was in that program, I I uh, happened to get assigned uh, my 
the person who became my graduate thesis advisor, Kate Bingham Burt, uh, incredible teacher, incredible graphic designer and illustrator. Um, and she was the one who, who kind of saw, first of all, that I had a undergraduate degree in graphic design, which was helpful and that I'd done a bunch of projects, um, yeah. back home, uh, in Vegas, uh, where I'm from. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. And, there's more and, to the story there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's a whole, there's a whole other side. Uh, but, uh, yeah, she was the one who, who sort of recruited me into teaching, um, first as a, you know, teaching, uh, assistant in, you know, grad school and then adjuncting and going through a couple fixed term contracts okay. before I, I ended up in this role. Yeah. It always seems to be like, um, an, an educator that you've, crossed paths with that gets you interested as as an educator yourself that's you know sounds very similar to my story uh, who yeah. knows that might not be the case for everybody but that resonates with me for sure uh, did you then do adjuncting for for a bit because adjuncting I, didn't last long for me i i got the bug and i just headed full steam ahead it's hard it's a hard road to hoe and i i really admire the folks who can do it like we have some adjuncts who've done it for 20 years 25 years oh, wow. like it's, yeah. yeah i like it's because I, I mean i think one of the things that was um and it kind of still is great about up here is you know there there are a lot of opportunities um at different schools for a while we had i think four or five different, uh, okay. you know, universities mm -hmm. yeah. up here with art programs all within like 10 miles. Um, yeah. that's no longer the case. Um, but you know, a lot of the people I knew who, who did that would kind of split their time between us and PNCA or OCAC or right. one of the other smaller schools. Um, well also too, there's, there's a thing with adjuncting that, <clears throat> For me, it was it was a different path and it was short. Yeah, I, I knew what I wanted to achieve, and to achieve those things, I had to move a lot. Right, I had to yeah. to get my uh, get myself started in that adjunct level. If I wanted to do that visiting lecture, I, I had to move because the opportunities just aren't uh, popping up and available. Um, but I don't know if they ever were. So there's been a lot yeah. of you know, there's always a lot of. If you want to go the fast paced route, be prepared to jump around and go to some different universities and travel, live different places. Um, and it is rare for an adjunct to be at a university long enough and start teaching there once they've got their terminal degree. So yeah. kudos to that. Uh, well, for you. I, thank you. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I feel, I feel incredibly lucky with sort of the mentorship that I've gotten I mean, primarily from Kate over the years, um, but from from lots of people in the program who I think like the way that we teach um, and the way that Kate kind of helped me learn how to teach is this very collaborative, very hands-on, very tactile notion. And I think that that makes it, um, it, it sort of helps everybody grow. And that to me is just really exciting. Um, I like that. Yeah mentorship mentorship's a big deal for yeah. sure having the right mentors um help you out a lot absolutely hey, let's uh let's talk a little bit then about what did you, what did you find as your passions so what are you teaching now are they the same as your passions would there be something you'd like to teach that you're oh. not teaching oh uh, can, uh <laughs> i, I want to say can of worms it might not be but i mean but i know for me there's all kinds of things i'd love to do but uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many things. Um, it, it is hard because I, I think you're, and we, we have an interesting system over here. We are a, um, we're on terms instead of semesters. So uh, okay. uh, our teaching load is basically, you know, three classes every term, which means you have three of those in a school year, um, 10 oh, weeks sure. each. So you're kind of limited in what you can do um, yeah. in a lot That's of ways. That's how it was when I taught at RIT. Yeah. It's, they call it's it the a, quarter system, but same thing. Yeah. It's a, it's not a great system. I think that's, that's one of my, you know, bigger I, frustrations. I, um, I had, I loved that you were able to cover more 
I'll call them topics um, throughout the academic year. Whereas the, the semester system it's, you know, you've got quote two topics and it's just how you use those two topics to, to diversify the students' experiences, you know? Mm. So, so we just renamed classes to take a little bit more advantage of that. So instead of graphic design one, it's called design theory and process. It really opens up the doors for let's, you know, okay, what do they need to know now? Kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that sounds like a fantastic way of doing things. Um, yeah. So what's yeah. falling into that for you? Um, well, I, I mean, I think I, I have been thinking a lot about classes and, and trying to think of like, well, what, what can really fit in that sort of time span? Because, you know, if you want to do a, a larger, ambitious, especially collaborative project, um, 10 weeks is hard. 10 weeks is, is just, you know, kind of not enough time. Right. Um, that's 20 meetings basically. And yeah. usually closer to 18 or 17. Yeah. And I've had those um, discussions with students too, about, about how many times we meet, yeah. how many hours that equals and what their expectations are and should be accordingly. Yeah. Cause basically a semester might come down to a little bit over a, a 40 hour week. It, and yeah. it's, it's rather scary. And it's like, I'm supposed to give you everything that you need to know about this topic <laughs> in just over a week and, yeah. and 20 meetings, 20 times three. Yeah. That's just, you know, uh, are they three hour Yeah, or two we, we, point whatever? Yeah. No, we's, we're, we're properly three hour. Um, oh, which I, I think it's because we, we bumped our credit count up like 15 years ago, but, um, mm, okay. Yeah, uh, and I keep deflecting here, so <laughs> let's get back uh, to it. That's, that's not something I ever do on my podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I think like uh, the, the class that I've sort of had in mind for a long time, um, which sort of dovetails into my research, is um, like I, I really want to find ways to get students more engaged and involved in making media about design. Um, okay. Because I, I think like a lot of times like they, they have so much energy and they have so much excitement about design. Right, right. Um, but you know, what is, what is out there is often inwardly focused. It is focused on, you know, the industry talking about the industry, which is fine. You know, sure, I, right. I think it's, it's great in a lot of ways, but um, I think like they, they definitely have the interest in, connecting with other people. And, uh, I, I would love to, uh, kind of facilitate more ways for them to, to be thinking about audiences more generally, um, that, you know, could potentially be part of a general public that they're trying to design for. Um, okay. so, uh, yeah, I've, I've sort of had this like collaborative <clears throat> podcasting class in mind for quite a while. Um, and I would, I would love to you know, get a chance to experiment with that and, and try to develop it and have students okay. work collaboratively in teams to, you know, produce shows. Okay. Um, because I, you know, I, I think that also opens up a discussion about more what design is and how design functions and how they engage with design, um, which I think is, you know, it's going to be different because they're, they're so new to it. Um, versus, you know, coming into a conversation that's already happening. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah. Like, what, so are you doing anything like that now? So the podcast de design through podcast would be an incredible topic an incredible, interestingly fun class, interesting and fun class. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so how are you? Okay. Let, let me back up then. Talk to me a little bit more. I don't know. Am I backing up or going forward? Let's go forward <laughs> while backing up. I'm not hearing the beep, yeah. beep, beep sound. Yeah. The... I'll, uh, maybe we can add that in the post edit. Right? <laughs> um, okay. Re the research then, what does the research look like? And then I'll talk a little bit more after that about what's at, what you might be bringing to the classroom now. So research. Yeah. So research. Um, well, I, yeah, it, research has been an interesting, you know, kind of exploration for me. And I, I think talking to you about kind of, kind of your journey with research, I, I think we're, we're kind of similar. Um, I, I had wanted to do something like what I'm doing now, which is uh, sort of 
what I call design communication, um, sort of borrowing the term from science communication, trying to think about how to how to engage you know audiences within design, but also outside of design with design knowledge that you know they they might not otherwise want to engage with. Okay. Um, so uh, the first project in sort of that that milieu is uh, uh, a thing I call "Did I Do That," which is a podcast about design and mistakes. Uh, it's it's sort of like um, I, I think the way that I described it to you uh, when we were both at the UCDA Design Education Summit uh, like a month ago or something like that um, was it was really rooted in teaching like um i was teaching um you know 100 and 200 level students and noticing just how how hard they took failure um hmm. okay. even when you told them like you you have to make mistakes you have to fail as part of the process um that's how things are made um they would still really not I think recognize the importance of it because it, it felt so bad and they didn't really have anything to connect with. Um, mm -hmm. because one of the things that I feel like we don't really talk about as a field is failure. We, right. you know, when we, we show off work, it's finished work. It's not process. Um, and what you do see of process is like, Oh, here's a couple screenshots. Um, but you know, like process is so messy and when they are making messy work and they have nothing to kind of compare it to, um, I, I think it makes them feel uh, a lot more self-conscious than they really should. And I, I, I'm a firm believer that like that sort of uh, self-consciousness is, is sort of like the, the thing that stops creativity. It is, oh, it is sure. one of the biggest roadblocks. It is like, I wonder yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I, I think I was just going to say, like, you know, <clears throat> when you already internalize that and then you have someone else say it to you in a critique, mm -hmm. it just stops you dead. And that's not I, 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 that's not what I want for my students. That's not what right, any right, right. creative should should have to deal with. And, so. and I know for certain in my classes as well. <clears throat> especially those early on classes. Cause when they get to, you know, the, the 300, 400 level juniors and seniors, they, they can process it differently, but yes, yeah. it's that early, early freshman, sophomore student that has a hard time understanding process and understanding that you've got to investigate and research, make those mistakes. Yeah. So even in my classes, I have become very cautious of telling somebody that's not working the way it should be working. Uh, and I have to really delicately dance around that's bad work, right? Yeah. Uh, I go back to uh, my design education uh, quite a few years ago. And uh, there was this one one uh, instructor I had called, uh, his name, not called, his name, his name was Heinz Klinken. Heinz right. Klinken, little German guy. He even had the round specs, just like uh, Eric Speakerman. <laughs> and uh, just a um, just a cartoon character of a of a designer. Oh gosh, he was fantastic. Like. He he has passed away. This is the sad moment. He's passed oh. away. He um he had some illness. I I I believe it was spinal cancer or something oh, like that. Gosh. Um, yeah, it was it was rather tragic. But my memories of Heinz are absolutely outstanding. So uh, we'd come into class. You'd have to pin your work one you'd have to be there before class started not as class started um you'd have to pin your work up on the wall and be ready and sitting down so that at the start of class when he would walk in the door i don't know how he did it i don't know if he like hid in a um, a locker outside the the classroom or something but literally like at the moment class started he would walk in he wasn't there ahead of time he wasn't there after time uh and if you were there oh. after he would literally stop everything he was doing and just stare at you coming through the door. And it was quiet for <laughs> what seemed like eternity, but it was probably only about 30 seconds. Ooh. And he would just keep his eye on you as you worked your way into the room and got comfortable. Oh, no. He wanted you to know that 
he was well aware and he was not happy. Um, so your work would be up in the wall. He would walk in typical, um, Heinz Klinken moment is he would walk up to the wall because we'd always start with a critique and he would walk up and down, up and down the wall. It's hard to do it, uh, sitting down, but he'd walk up and down the wall with his hands behind his back, you know, and, and kind of hunched over a little bit, look at the work. He would stop at one and look and point at it. And he would go, wow, wow. And then he would keep walking. <laughs> he, would put, he would get to another one. He would point at another one. And he would give a look. Oh. The, look the, the look for those that are listening to the podcast is, what is this? Yeah. And he would grab it by the corner and just give it a quick pull. So it would come off the pins on the wall. And he would drop it on the floor. And uh, now I don't know how many times he, he's done this, but that's one of my memories, right? Um, and you knew that was not working. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So when we talk about failure and, and students that have a hard time being told that that's not good work, my gosh. Um, you know, and so my story asks this question, what is happening that our college age students that we are receiving now and our future students that this might be happening? Is that part of your research or is that something that like, hey, I can't change that. Um, so how do I, how do I move forward with what I'm given? So. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think I would have gotten along with Heinz even at all. Uh, I, I, uh, a long time ago, I, I had a, uh, instructor who, who was kind of similar. He would only tell you if work, uh, was working or not working and would not give you any context about what was working or not working. So you were just mm, left yeah. to left to the demons in your head. And I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily yeah. um, a healthy approach for anyone. Well, Heinz would pull it out of the students. He'd be like, you know, after that yeah. moment, he'd be like, why? Right. And yeah. students would be like, because it has contrast. Uh-huh. Why? Tell me more why, you know, and he would make us dig for it, you know, so it still may not be the best methodology, right? So the students that are on point are keeping it on point. And then the students that are trying to catch up are learning from the students that are on point kind of. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. I think, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's different philosophies ultimately. And I like, sure. Well, that's the difference between yeah. you know teaching in the late '80s, early '90s, uh, even oh. back into the '70s, right? Yeah, where you know we just can't can't teach like that today. Yeah, um, but I like I I definitely strive to make my my critique spaces as as non judgmental as possible. Like I know that's that's something that you know the students are, are definitely very anxious about, and I mm-hmm. I can identify with it. Like right. I was. I was terrified of those critiques back when I was a student and, you know, I, I, I think I, I see them do better work when I can, you know, turn things around and make it so that, you know, they, they want to succeed in, in ways other than, you know, getting judgment from power. And I think that mm-hmm. that's, that's something like, I don't, I don't want them chasing that dragon. Cause that's a, that's a dragon that, bites your hand absolutely absolutely a million I, times know, in your career one of my big piece of advice is advices advice for students um <laughs> is they're like well we want you we want you to be happy so we get a good grade and i'm like yeah i'm the last person you need to make happy you need yeah. to one make yourself happy are you satisfied yeah. with the work can you defend the work and then two if you're putting in your portfolio wherever you want to work are you making that potential employer happy with that work you're making for your portfolio that's what matters and and we can talk about you know grades and what makes a grade what gets a grade um and i would tell students that doesn't matter either you know forget about the grade think about the design think about the process think about are you answering those questions you know what's your elements and your principles and how are they how are they working and working for the viewer oh there's (sighs) so many things (laughs) so many things all right so Give me some examples, if you can, yeah, uh, of of that in the classroom. 
Well, I, I think actually a great example is um, I, I co-teach a class with with Kate Bickenbert um, called oh. Andy Projects, and it's it's nice. a class we created together in 2013, something like that. It's been a long time, um, but the idea of that is you know, and I think it, it's a semi-common format. Um, take students who have worked essentially independently as designers for, you know, their entire school career and give them a taste of what it's like to be in the real world where you are rarely just, you know, the sole designer on a project. You are probably going to be, you know, working in a studio environment or something similar, working collaboratively and answering to clients. So uh, we, we kind of um, set that up with regards to like, you know, the school, like we, our program does a lot of events. We have a lot of, we have kind of a lot of print output um, ultimately, which is, I, I, I realize a very strange thing in 2022, but um, you know, we, we do send a lot of things to press. Um, okay. And you know, we, we have a lot of, you know, a lot of different programs. Like we have two MFAs, we have, um, you know, a, a very large art practice program. We've got a, you know, university museum, two galleries. So we're, we're, you know, constantly kind of needing design. Um, and, you know, this is a way essentially uh, as a class to take those projects and funnel them into the system and give the students a chance to work with real budgets, to collaborate um, for, for maybe the first time ever for a lot of them, um, and to uh, actually see a real project in the real world. Um, and uh, what, what we kind of work on as the model in that class is um, Kate and I are essentially the um, you know, the, the, the people who are there as support, um, not to, you know, try to assign a, a role to it. Um, but we, we are, you know, facilitators, we help the projects get assigned. We're at any given time managing, I want to say 25, 30 projects. Um, oh, wow. yeah. Each student is supposed to be on three different teams at any given time. Oh my. Yeah. Um, so to do that, like, you know, we, we want to empower those teams to organize themselves and to create systems to essentially ensure that work, you know, grows on its own. So, um, we are not the sole singular voices, um, these creative directors from up high, uh, who are telling the students what the work is supposed to look like they are negotiating that collaboratively. And I think the, the output of that, I think speaks for itself in a lot of ways. Like, um, we have, um, we have students from all different levels in that class. We, we have, uh, I think we've had three freshmen, um, okay. just in the period that we've had freshmen, which is really only about a year. Um, We've had a bunch of different sophomores and plenty of juniors and seniors too. But okay. there's this informal mentorship that happens where <clears throat> students who have been in the class a few times will help other students grow and develop their work. And okay. let me let improve. me ask you a yes. couple of questions there for clarification. Um, one, <laughs> I said a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned students have been in a class before so they can take yes. this class multiple times yes oh that's interesting yeah because okay. it's it's always different like even even if you are on is it like know, a teams, special topics course or or something like that or uh i mean it's it is a i mean it's a full-fledged course um okay it, it doesn't really have uh you know a, an omnibus designation or anything um but yeah, like they are, they are free to sort of take it as many times as they want. And wow, um, okay, the logistics just of that is a challenge. Yes, uh, uh, <laughs> logistically, it, it's know, an extremely it, complicated class. Yeah, passing it through the university so it makes sense to them, and they say, "Oh yeah, go ahead and do that." You know, yeah, that's okay. And this is still a ten week course. Yes, so ten weeks, and they have possibly three different projects throughout the ten weeks. Yes, 
Okay. And most of those are also trying to be started and executed within that 10 weeks. Some of them will okay. roll over a couple times. We do a big portfolio uh, mm-hmm. show uh, every okay. year called Be Honest. And that's usually a, you know, a two term or three term project. Okay. Um, I'm asking for my own uh knowledge <laughs> greed um so I, I i also do group projects um it's i have team taught these projects in other classes uh at a different university this university i'm still working out those logistics of team teaching and um you know sharing projects across different courses and stuff like that nonetheless yeah. um we have a semester-long project no two of them i'm sorry um and their team team executed for just that reason that you mentioned, you know, um, they're not ever going to be a sole designer, most likely, uh, even when they're freelance, it, they're still not a sole designer. Yeah. You depend a lot on a lot of people. Um, but I've never thought of running. No, let me take that back. So, um, two projects, two team projects throughout the semester. So f- about 12 weeks a piece, um, but I start one stop, start the next one to the end of the semester. So they don't yeah. overlap. But that's an interesting idea to to overlap them and mix the teams up a little bit. And I, I honestly think that's a big part of the secret sauce of why it why it works well is yeah. you know, those students who who have been through it a few times really I, I think they grow to develop a sense of what the roles that you can be in this field mm-hmm. are. And they want to engage with them more and also, you know, get little, they, they also have to um, sort of, in addition to their client projects, uh, come up with collaborative self-initiated projects that benefit the school too. So if, if you're in the class multiple times, like you can, you can really potentially make some very large change, even just, you know, on your own uh, huh. to, to the school. Um, I'm, I might try that. The students know me very well as being being that professor that is just going to mix it and change it up. So, <laughs> you know, I'll have students in my first level, second level, third level course. And by the third level course, they're like, what are you going to do? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know yet. Let's see how this rolls out. Yeah. yeah. But I, the, I, I do I like try not this. having my hands tied necessarily so much yeah. going into a course. Like, yeah. um, I, well, I, when I, I first avoid... started teaching, I did that. And, and yeah. it does become very frustrating yeah uh, because you have to you have to be loose with it and you have to go with even as the students change you've got to change up a little bit of what you're doing absolutely yeah that's an interesting interesting course i like that sounds yeah it sounds challenging but it also sounds really fun and i can't imagine like trying to keep track of um 30 different student projects at once and keep them all straight. I, yeah. I'm sure there's moments you're like, Oh wait, that's, that's the other team. Sorry about that. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, we, I should also say the the other thing that makes this possible is um, we, we have two sections. Um, at least we've experimented with that in the last year, two sections that run concurrently. Um, mm. We have a very, very large room um, that is surprisingly not large enough. Um, but uh between the two sections and we'll also usually do some students as independent studies um, and have them like, you know, working on a specific project, but in collaboration. Um, We had, I want to say 40, 45, somewhere close to that in spring. Um, But there were times where that didn't feel like enough folks. Um, Sure. Right. It depends on how well they're working together, how well things are clicking. And and sometimes those are the sweet moments as an instructor where you just kind of go, all right, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. And uh, you mentioned something really critical too is space, right? Every university is definitely different as far as their architecture, how much square footage they have, how many classrooms they have. What does that space look like? What's the technology? And, you know, the list goes on and on. Yeah. And how much that affects your teaching is absolutely astonishing. Yeah. And I think like a lot of the things that we do would not have been possible with, with what we were initially given. Um, and I, I, this is one of the things that I, I think I learned from Kate, but I also picked up back home, um, in Las Vegas, which is, you know, uh, I, I went to school at the university of Nevada, Las Vegas, UNLV, 
Um, and uh, their art building is the oldest building on campus. It's it's designed like a um, casino. Like a, <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's it looks like a motel. It looks like 1960s motel architecture. Okay. And that's basically all there was being built in Las Vegas at that time. So I guess it shouldn't be terribly surprising, but like it has no like internal hallways or things like that. Um but uh the 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 building itself like was so uh forgotten by the university oh. that Folks could just kind of turn it into whatever um, they would, you know, students would take over kind of abandoned rooms, which also says something about the building that there were strange abandoned rooms, oh my gosh. Oh my corridors that were, yeah. you know, sort of walled over somewhat. Um, it almost uh, sounds like an episode of Ghost Hunters or something. Yeah, like that. there were, I, I think sometimes about a moment where we were exploring after hours in the ceramics department, which I think no longer uh -oh. exists. And there was a mostly walled off corridor. And if you like, it was probably about two feet wide. So if you kind of crab walked down this corridor, that's filled with trash and things, uh, then you could get into this weird boiler room that was completely abandoned. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Like it, you know, it's that kind of, kind of building but it, uh, um, even even to have to crab walk that definitely starts to sound like a horror film yeah it you was know. extreme i have mean to do some kind of weird contortionist kind of movement to get into the room <laughs> yeah and and like full-on horror lighting too like where windows Perfect. are plugged up but there's like little yeah. cracks of light getting through once you get into the boiler That's room great. it's yeah it's it's a it's a if strange any, place if there were any film majors they had to love it <laughs> yeah I don't think they like to be on our side of campus. Oh. Uh, they, they had their own fancy facilities. Um, right, right. But uh, yeah, like at, at Portland State, and honestly, that was kind of what attracted me to Portland State is it, it felt very, it was in a city. It was um, a, a place that was very flexible um, in, in how it was approaching things. And um, in a way, I'm like so, so lucky that I got, paired up with Kate because I think she and I think about space in very similar ways. Um, she had her office at the time. It was a room that was like weird and long and wide, but it had a window at the very end and it was just filled with broken computer monitors when she got it. Um, so she, and I think she'd been assigned another office in another part of the university, but she was like, I want to be here. And so she cleaned out all the computer monitors and, um, you know, moved in there. And cool. that was sort of something that we did a bunch of times, like together, we, uh, we built the first Andy project studio, which was made, um, out of a room that was filled floor to ceiling with trash, including a giant plaster sculpture that we think came from Portland art museum and had just been forgotten, oh, wow. um, like broken tables and things. Um, but you know, like these were rooms that were not being used or being used, um, like terribly underutilized. Um, there's a, that, yeah, there's a lot to be talked about in that conversation yeah. to one that there's even that space, um, available yeah you know, the, the potential of just oh hey look at that room over there that's not being <clears throat> utilized um i don't know if i've ever been anywhere that's had that opportunity so that's fantastic yeah, yeah. i think it, it's a very rare thing and i think it it was something that i think only could have come about based on you know the art building being this um this sort of strange amalgam of different opportunities that that didn't quite happen for uh psu to get a new art building um okay but um yeah like it, it it gave us a lot of opportunities to sort of grow the program and find new things um out of what we already had and i i think in in that too there's a great lesson for the students like um exploring around unlv in in grant hall um I learned some scrappiness and I took that here and it, it made me even more scrappy. And oh, sure. I think like, you know, instilling that value in students is so important. Like 
Some of them will go on to work for Wyden and Kennedy, which is a big global ad agency um, in in Portland. Some of them will go on to work for Nike, and they'll have obscene budgets to work with. Right. Um, but you know, like even then, if they know how to do things on the cheap. Um, it gives them a different sense of texture. It gives them a different sense of purpose and engagement. And like, I'm, yeah, I'm excited anytime I can see, you know, a little bit of that creeping into their work after yeah, school. Even, even if we, we rephrase on the cheap to, um, being <laughs> budget aware and budget conscious, because you can, you can see one thing and, and invest 10 times more than you need to. And then Absolutely. you can take a second look at it and go, you know, if we did it this way, you know, uh, and that's what you guys have done. Yeah. Right? You know, you, you look at that space and instead of going, oh, that's awful. We need a new space. Let's build one. It's more like, well, that's underutilized. I bet you we could do something with that. That's kind of neat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Hey, tell me. Um, so, you, you know, we talked a little bit about your your current research, past research and, you know, how that's kind of finding its way into the classroom. And even as we've talked a little bit about some other stuff, I still see that um, bleeding in, if you will, into into your teaching. What, what, what are you thinking about for the future of your research? So for me, yeah. my trajectory changed. It, 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 some people might even say it's a 180 even. Um, typography has always been my passion and my love. But now I'm suddenly hugely into history, um, you know, graphic design history. And I, I even find myself thinking more about what research means and different things like that. What a scholarship yeah. means. What is scholarly work? Um, where before it was like, I love type and everything I did was research on type and scholarly projects on type and so on. So do you think you, do you have something that you're, that you've been dreaming about? Like, man, wouldn't that be excellent to kind of try this out or try that out or oh, anything absolutely. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about and it. It, I, so, I mean, I, I'll even connect it. So I, I sort of, um, I came into PSU kind of wanting to do this sort of thing, this design communication project. And then, you know, some, some stuff happened. Um, just some some sort of large global problems. Uh, oh, I oh yeah, I, just a few I don't few think we things. need to say which ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, like that that sort of you know. There was the uh, pandemic and the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I don't yeah. mean them as one and the same. Uh, yeah, I'm referring to uh, one of them as probably a pandemic that we all could have avoided. Uh, go um, on. But I yeah, like I I I sort of got you know sidetracked and and tried to do some other things. Um, but when it came down to it, like I, I think I, I never felt as comfortable in those roles as I do wanting to go on this track and, and think about ways of, of engaging, uh, you know, more conversations about design um, externally to it. Um, so uh, like one of the earliest projects, even maybe before the podcast, I wanted to experiment in the live video space in live streaming. Um, and I've been working on a project for, for basically three or four years, uh, around that, um, you know, kind of trying to demonstrate more what it is to actually practice design and think about like design processes, um, in a more fun way, but also in a, in a live format where, you know, maybe you don't have complete control of, over the design you are, negotiating it a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, that that's sort of a project that I've been working on and I'm hoping to get launched this summer. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's a big thing starting anything new. Um, oh, yeah. As, you know, especially like when you are working in mediums that you are less familiar with. Um, like, oh, yeah. Audio is something that I've I've at least sort of engaged with my whole life. I, I'm a huge podcast listener and uh, my dad uh, was a DJ and then a uh, voiceover talent and audio producer for um, like my whole life. I mean, I think he started on the radio in 1978, 79, something like oh, that. Oh, that's great. Um, but yeah, like I 
I knew about microphones and I knew about, you know, I knew about cutting tape, which is not a <laughs> knowledge that anyone needs anymore. Right, um, right. Friends, if you if you ever listen to an old thing, know that someone actually had a reel-to-reel tape and put it on a little metal cutter and cut it and then taped it back together. And that's how any cuts yeah. were made. I, um, I had one of those and I've actually <laughs> done those. <laughs> it's a, I can't imagine doing that with with this um but that, like yeah why would we want to right why would we want to we um, this tech but there's I someone mean, out there that still does right yeah i mean it's everything still, has a way a of passion. coming back around like yeah. who would have guessed that like jinko jeans would return and yet somehow <laughs> they have um but uh yeah like I, I i sort of grew up around that but i think getting into this project like and having to do real audio production, like, you know, not just like the initial record and like soundproofing and making sure the mics are good, but really cutting it and trying to make it as good a product yeah. as, as you can possibly have. Um, that is a hugely time consuming endeavor and it gets faster, the better you get with it, but mm -hmm. it's still like, you know, slow to yeah. start anything. Yeah. I, I think, I think you, uh, mention something that I'm going to mention again um, as educators. So this whole idea of research, we're talking research today and, and uh, I will again. Um, and coming into teaching, a lot of new educators aren't certain what they should research. And I th uh, they're like, well, I'm a design educator I'm teaching these classes, so let me research stuff in this vein. Uh, maybe I'm incorrect, um, but I know from my experience, I had no idea like what where I should start. Uh, yeah, and it was very confusing. But to your point that you're making, you come from a background where you have interest, you have base understanding, base skills and knowledge, and even some passions for, um, maybe even some love for right um and now you're finding a way to bring those things that were part of that are part of who you are back into the fold of of what you do right yeah. you're making them you're taking those things and merging them with your teaching and they're becoming becoming one um uh, yeah and, and and i think i've gone down that path too because now that i'm working on a documentary film like i've always loved radio shows and television shows and all of that AV equipment. You know, I was one of those spazzes that was like, what does this button do? How does that work? But now I'm bringing that into my research um, through the film and, yeah. and, and just, I've learned so much more because I've had to research and all that. So, yeah. Uh, so you, you were saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I, I think that, that, that touches upon, cause I think a lot of the things that I, I do connect to that, like the other part of like my, my research that I haven't really talked about that, that really directly connects into teaching is like that, that sort of thing that I went to grad school for that art thing. Um, like that ended up coming back sort of midway in my, my time in Portland, I, uh, got a job as the designer at a place called the Portland Institute for Contemporary Art known as PICA for short. Okay. Um, like the, like the thing where you want to eat uh, non food things, um, <laughs> uh, or, or the typographic unit, I guess, but you know, yeah. like one of those, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like they, they were a art presenter, um, which doesn't necessarily mean gallery or museum. It, it really means like they, uh, do a lot of things around art and that can mean stage productions that can mean other kinds of live events, a lot of dance, um, visual art, um, of course too, but, um, like doing that job really gave me this whole other perspective about what it means to do something live and what it means to, um, engage as part of a different sort of team. Um, and I, you know, I was their one and only designer, so I was doing, I was designing, you know, the festival catalog and, you know, shepherding that off to, to press, but I was also designing runs of shows for people like, you know, just like telling people what 
you know, each beat of the event needs and who is doing what, uh, oh, wow. at what time, like, and I, that was a, like, I didn't know what a run of show was until I stepped into that job. And now I'd make, you know, one of them a week basically. Um, but like, yeah, that, that was a big part of my research process, um, before stepping into this role and before the, the, the event, um, we must not talk about the event. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like that, like my, my freelancing with them kind of, kind of slowed and, and stopped, um, when the pandemic hit because they couldn't do live events anymore. Um, and I was still kind of hungry for that. And so I, I kind of brought a lot of that energy into teaching and, um, created, uh, again with Kate, a class sort of based around, uh, event production and, um, you know, kind of learning by watching, but also by hosting and taking on different roles. Oh, um, very neat. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of art direction, coordinating, uh, organization stuff going on there. Yeah. Although the, the, that class is a freshman level class and it's, it's meant to be the first one they take before they even take any, like any visual studies uh, of any kind. So they're How just learning about, yeah, it's, it's a, like, I think it's a kind of exciting thing, like to have folks who are just starting out in the profession, hearing from professionals, learning what professional roles are from them, but also having to be engaged because they are producing the thing. They are on that mic, on so camera. Interesting. Um, you don't know how, well, maybe you do know how many freshman students talk about, well, I'm enrolled in college. I'm going for this type of program and I'm not even studying what I want to study. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. they're, they're anxious to get started. So a class like that, you know, that must work really, really well because they're like, all right, I'm in college and I'm here to do the thing and we're doing it. You know, yeah, it's just kind of a talk about a lightning bolt of a kickstart. That's fantastic. Well, well and I think that, yeah, that's, it's sort of exactly been our, our sense of it. Like we, um, we did pivot a lot, um, in, uh, 2020, um, mm -hmm. this was a, a thing that, you know, took about a year to develop in curriculum, but, um, we had been part of a shared, um, you know, foundations year with the art students and it, you know, sort of in, in kind of getting a sense of what that curriculum was, we, we realized that the two fields were diverging more and more and the students See, were getting yeah. less of what they needed. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think there's still a lot of, of good that can come from like, uh, teaching art to design students. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think we wanted to, to get them into design a little sooner and, um, have more space to develop new things like that class and, um, you know, get them in on the ground floor with a 100 level, like motion UI UX class. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, the response has been great. So I'm sure in, this is the full circle moment. Are you, are you ready? This is full where, circle. well, yeah, this is where they're excited, right? You get them in, to the program and their teaching and, uh, or the, the, their studies. Um, and they're really having fun with it and it's okay in that type of space to make mistakes. Yeah. And, and they learn that, Oh, that didn't, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. It was my first time trying this. It, you know, things are going to happen. That was fun. Um, so they can make those mistakes, uh, which, I'm going to even go more full circle and say, and that really comes back to your research, comes back to your current podcast. Um, did I do that? Right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. You did it. Sean, you actually brought us from, from point A to point A uh, in, in a good mile journey. Yeah. Maybe uh, a mile and a half, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, the the all trails uh, on it, the it, the numbers seem a little a little odd, but yeah, I, <laughs> uh, I I think you deserve more credit for bringing it around than I do. Um, but yeah, like I, I think there's there's a lot of uh, cross pollination between my yeah, research yeah. And, and what I've been developing. It, it's obvious to me as a listener um, to your story for sure. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, on that 
uh, note on that beat, on that um, time sequence. Wait a second. Here it is. Uh, on that, that's the first time I've ever done that on my show, Sean. So <laughs> you're bringing out the uh, the fun part of the show. Um, I hope I don't make your show as chaotic as I've made mine. Oh, that's what makes you so great. Um, tell tell people a little bit about your your podcast and how you talk about making mistakes and it's okay to make mistakes and you know kind of complete that circle if you will. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, did I do that? Is a biweekly podcast. Um, by which I mean every other week, words are bad, but specifically <laughs> how we have come up with words for, that mean twice a week and every other week, bad work, right? English right. language. Um, but yeah, it's a biweekly podcast where I interview a, uh, a designer um, in, I would say a, a loose conversation style um, mm-hmm. engagement. Like it's, we, we usually record for a long time, um, I, I think two hours is tends to be the norm. I think that was close wow. to yeah. what ours was, uh, when we, when we did an episode together. Um, and then I'll, I'll cut it down to about an hour and, uh, you know, we just, we sort of talk about, you know, mistakes, but also, you know, things that we've learned and sure, ways right, to right. like, rather than treating failure as this, this like big scary thing, like, you know, learning to laugh about it. I think that's the the healthiest thing. And there's a lot of laughter on the show. There's a lot of very dumb digressions. Um, but I, I really try to make it something like where, you know, it's, I, I want it to not taste like medicine. Um, <laughs> because, yeah. you know, I, I definitely have students that like, and this is another thing I learned from them. Like they, I, I love 99% Invisible. I think it's a great show, mm-hmm, but it's mm-hmm. very much in that like kind of radio lab, this American life model. And I think that doesn't speak is, to a yeah. lot of them. Um, so the show is, is sort of taking a more, you know, comedy podcast type of format. Uh, even though I, I don't know if I always achieve comedy podcast host <laughs> quality of joke. Um, but, uh, you know, like hopefully give them some design knowledge, the listener, yeah, um, right. and, and wrap it in this engaging fun thing. It's, yeah. it's basically Entertain like, you, them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, um, I would liken it to like, when you need to give a pill to a dog, you get one of the greenies, you put some peanut butter on it and then, you know, they take the pill and it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're also enjoying that, with that my great students peanut butter. Now. Go back to the beginning, <laughs> you know, where I try to dance around. That's not good. I'm just yeah. going to bring in a can of peanut butter and have them take a bite of peanut butter. And then I'll just tell them your work's really bad. <laughs> that, that, that might be. I and not tell them why. I'll go the Heinz clinking route. There's definitely certain folks that would, that would be sort of a double blow to their. Right. And then they wouldn't be able to <laughs> complain because it would be like a William Booth moment or whatever that was. <laughs> Remember that commercial? Oh, no. The 80s what? commercial. What was it for? Uh, it was for Got Milk. Oh, it was the got milk commercial and they want to know who shot booth or something like that. I don't know. Oh, like all a, my listeners shot, now are like, JR yeah, yeah. All my listeners now are like, get it right. Oh, they're cringing. They're cringing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sean, where can people find that podcast? Uh, why they can find it wherever they find their quality podcasts. Uh, and, uh, in your they best also, radio voice. Yeah. It is. In, uh, they can also find it at didididothat.design, um, which is a URL. Um, I realize it gotcha. ends in dot .design, which is weird, but it does go to a place. That's cool. Yeah, it makes me a little bit like, maybe I should get one of those. They're kind of cheap. Um, so if anyone wants to get a hold of you, uh, they could they find you on the faculty page at Portland or or is there anywhere or do you just just go to did I do that dot design? Uh, they they can indeed. I would uh, I would recommend checking out psu.gd, which is our program website. Again, a very weird TLD at the end. Um, I don't I don't know what country dot gd is for, but it's a Portland thing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the country of of Portland. Um, but we uh, yeah we we have a a great. Uh, you know, program up there, uh, that you can check out. Um, you can also go to Sean Schumacher.com, which has some words on it and some links. And if you enjoy <laughs> both of those things, go for it. 
Fantastic. Sean, thank you so much. Uh, if our listeners have made it this far, because usually when you start talking about where can they find you, everybody turns the uh, next <laughs> podcast on. So hopefully they made it this far. Sean, thanks so much for uh, for joining me on Design Dedux, where we are creating success in design education. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much, Pete. It's It's been an honor to be here. Super. All right. Until the next time, Sean, take care. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode. The Design Dedux podcast can be found at designdedux.com. That's D-E-S-I-G-N-D-E-D-U-X.com, where you can listen to the podcast or watch the video version of the podcast, as well as find links to the guests and the topics discussed during each episode. The Design Dedux podcast can be found on most podcast listening platforms. You can join us on social media through Instagram and Twitter via at design underscore dedux on Facebook as Design Dedux Podcast and join us on YouTube at Design Dedux for video versions of each episode. If you are enjoying the podcast, you can show your support on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash design underscore dedux. Once again, thanks for joining us and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode.